Welcome to the Halliday Wine Companion Podcast. This is our space to chat about wine without all the fluff, from how to taste and describe it to how to pair it to that dinner party you're hosting next weekend. We'll be chatting to industry professionals from across the country, tackling all things wine from a palatable perspective. I'm Tom Carr, your host, and I'm part of the team here at Halliday, and this is By The Glass. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to today's episode. It's a bloody beautiful day. I am in the heart of the Macedon Ranges at Mount Monument. I've got a very special guest in front of me, but we'll get to him in just a second. Now, today's episode or topic is of huge interest to me. Underwater wine. I am fascinated by it, and I'm sure a lot of you at home are too, Uh, Now, it's a process whereby wine is aged or preserved underwater. Now, there's been a few high-profile cases. Back in 2010, it was reported divers found bottles of champagne some 230 years old at the bottom of the Baltic. Now, it's reported the champagne found was from the house Verve Clicquot, and interestingly, they have, uh, they have since buried another 300 bottles and 50 magnums in the Baltic Sea in an ageing experiment to commemorate this very discovery. But they aren't the only ones doing it. Wineries across the world, from Spain to France, Italy, Greece and Chile, are trying their hand at this new way of thinking. And today, we're looking at a homegrown example here in Victoria's Macedon Ranges. Now, five years ago, Ben Rankin from Willamy Wines submerged 20 dozen bottles of his Pinot Noir in 5,000 litre tanks. Now, this year, he drained one of those vats for consumption and comparison to the same vintage aged via traditional cellaring methods. And I am so very Incredibly excited to try this wine and meet Ben here today. Can you please welcome Ben? Thank you, Tom. Nice to see you. Welcome to uh, Mount Monument and a beautiful sunny day here in Macedon. It's absolutely stunning. Bloody beautiful. We're out on the back patio. We're surrounded (laughs) by trees and birds and trying to avoid the wind. Yeah, exactly right. Hopefully the wind will be uh, kind to us. (laughs) Yeah, we could could only hope. Uh, Ben, I I stumbled across this in a newspaper and I thought, it's an interesting story. Mm, yeah, it is very. Uh, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. This uh, this journey of mine. I've had this idea uh, about nearly twenty years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Um, Steve Weber from Debortley's in the Yarra Valley. I used to work with him, mm-hmm. and he came back from a holiday and had an underwater Spanish wine, yeah, and right. was raving about it. And I'm um, like, wow, why isn't anyone doing that? And it's just taken me. Um, nearly 20 years to do. So, uh, yeah, so it's taken a long time. Finally, I'm able to do it and release it just uh, this month in September. Yeah, incredible. So it's been a long wait. And so, Ben, look, I've got a list of questions here a mile long because there's a lot we need to talk about. So you've obviously said how it all began, but what I want to ask you is, obviously, it's an incredibly off-the-beaten-track way of thinking. Uh, we've just heard about the high-profile case with Verve Clicquot, mm-hmm. uh, but what are some of the examples both here and abroad that have inspired you or that you're personally following? 
Yeah, there's quite a few actually, and I've been following them for pretty much 20 years. But it all really came from the shipwreck analogy and the shipwrecks first and foremost. So I think it was in 1998 they found um, quite a lot of uh, Piper Heidslick because uh, he was quite a famous champagne producer um, entering into the American market and uh, they found a lot of, I think it was 1907, I believe. Uh, so that was about 1998 and that was the first time I heard about it and that also sparked an interest with obviously the, um, the conversation with Steve when he came back from Spain. So I've been following that story and my brother ironically was in Singapore uh, a few years ago and found a bottle of that 1907 um, Heisek in the Atlas wine bar in Singapore and it was there. He took photos of it and he actually saw the wine bottle and then it had a little history of it and ironically in that bar, because it was from 1907, the price was $190,700, oh. <laughs> which is about one-to-one ratio between Singapore and Australia. So... Um, uh, I thought you were about. Hilarious. I thought you were about to say to me. Um, anyway, so my brother f- saw a bottle and just like picked it up and brought it home, and oh, I was like, I "Wish." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So not? I've been following that, and obviously, uh, where Steve uh, found that wine in Spain, that was also um, uh, the impetus to follow those guys. And then also another well-known guy in Croatia, actually, he's been really um, uh, one of the one of the front runners uh, in the underwater movement. But he's been doing one liter terracotta pots. Yep. So terracotta bottles in the ocean in the Mediterranean there in Croatia. Yep. And then, um, ironically, when I started doing it here um, in Willamy, because we bought Willamy in, in Christmas 2013, so yep. we had our first vintage in the 15 vintage. That's why the 15 wine is our first vintage. Yep. Uh, but um, I was obviously finding out what's going on in Australia, and the only guy I heard of, I did know that Ben Porte... Um, in the Yarra Valley was doing some uh, barrels submerged, yep. but that's actually winemaking, not maturation. So it's yep. quite a different kettle of fish. Yep. Uh, but Glenn Eberbach, who was actually ironically a guy I went to uni with, he's been doing a little bit of uh, King Valley sparkling um, off the coast in southern New South Wales. I believe. Wow. So, um, but I've never tasted those wines or seen them or what he's up to with them. So he's the only guy I've, I've heard of um, in the country. So... so- why is uh, underwater such an ideal environment to age and preserve wine? Basically, it's stability. Uh, water takes a long time to change temperature. Obviously, your cellar, uh, you turn the light on, you have light in the cellar. Obviously, airflow by opening and closing the door. Um, and most people sell their wines next to the fridge in their kitchen. Yeah. Or their <laughs> anyway. So, obviously, the temperature is changing all the time for yeah, the air yeah. conditioner, et cetera, et cetera. So, underwater, you have stability. That's really the main thing. So, there's four key elements to being underwater is obviously uh, the no light yep. um, and no oxygen, yep. the second one. Then you have um, uh, constant temperature. Now, temperature will change from summer to winter, but it takes a long time. You don't get any spikes. Yep. So um, it takes a long time to change over the, the course of, uh, well, basically the months, really. Yep. And then the fourth one is the pressure of uh, the weight of the water on the wine, which is so different to atmospheric pressure. So that's the fourth and most important variable. Yeah, right. Okay. And we're, and we're going to get to that because I really want to break it down. Yeah, cool. But um, does it – so does it actually – so, A, why do it, right? But So, does it speed up the ageing process? That's a good question. Um, why do it? Well, obviously, it sparked an interest because I thought, well, no one else is doing it and I'd yep. love to taste what the difference is and why there is a difference. And when you hear about these champagnes in particular that have been underwater for 100 years and they still look delicious and taste delicious, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. What? Obviously, I can't wait 100 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I'm like, well, how do you how do you do that? And then... 
talking to all the, or not talking, but reading about these guys in Europe in particular who are aging their wines off the coast in over the Mediterranean or the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, they are all reporting that their wines are maturing quicker. And I'm like, well, that's really amazing because what I've seen with the Willamy wines, I've been pulling them out every year because I put the next vintage in on a yearly basis in the winter yep. after being bottled. So I've been pulling a bottle out or two every winter and tasting, and I'm like, this wine looks fresher. Um, yeah. And it's not it's aging slower. So it's been a bit of a, a thought process, and there's no evidence this. This is just my theory, and, and, and I don't know – you know, what the attributes are with respect to the um, you know, scientific analytics and all the rest of it. But uh, my gut feeling is that, is that the guys who are maturing their wine underwater, they're doing it at about 10 to 20 metres depending. But uh, you've got ocean currents and obviously you've got water movement. So the wine in the bottle is actually moving as well. Yep. So that could be a reason why the wine is maturing more quickly. Yep. Um, where here I am 100 k's from the ocean mm. i'm in a wine tank uh 600 meters elevation fresh water totally different scenario um to what's going on in the ocean so i don't get the current movement obviously yep. you do get a bit of water movement with the influence of the moon yeah uh but that's only that's pretty insignificant the other thing too is with the shipwrecks my um theory is also the reason why those champagnes still look good after 100 years old is that they're probably buried in the mud so they're actually no longer actually in the water. They're in the mud underneath the water. So they're just being preserved. Not, yeah, exactly right. And hence they don't have that water movement. But that's just a theory I have at the moment as to why those champagnes, because if those champagnes were maturing quickly, uh, after 100 years, oh. they would look like a 300-year-old and you go, well, I, they're probably pretty buggered. Yeah. But apparently they're still pretty fresh and you could taste them. So it's a good question. It's, it's a lot. Of, the jury's still out on that and it's going to yep. take a long time to figure that out and do lots of scientific analytical uh, research onto why, uh, if it does speed up the process or slow, or it might get to a point where it gets to 10 years or whatever it is and then all of a sudden it slows down completely. Yeah. So that's a really good question. I, I'm not sure what the answer is. And how about depth? <clears throat> so how important is depth? Because so Verve, I think we're at 43 metres. Mm-hmm. They've submerged their bottles. Yeah, depth is a, um, a, a really key point to it because obviously that reflects pressure and uh, a lot of those shipwrecks are found in reasonably shallow waters off the coast of Atlanta or in the Baltic as you said Um, and those waters aren't that deep you're not finding um, water three k's down where the Titanic is yeah wine's still in good condition (laughs) there they're buggered the other thing too is with um uh, Verve Cucot and the Champagne houses is actually as I said three houses doing it I think Louis Rudder is doing it Louis Rudder is doing it yeah um but Champagne bottles are naturally thicker and they yeah. hold more pressure regardless, you know, up to six atmospheres. Uh, so they're obviously going to be more tolerant to be a greater depth. Um, if you put a wine bottle down to 43 metres, it most likely will break or deteriorate quite quickly yep. um, because of that pressure. So that's the other element to it as well. So there are obviously cases of wineries actively ageing wine, obviously at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. They're doing it intentionally. Divers are yielding wine from shipwrecks but are there certain varietals or styles of wine that underwater aging favors like how did you land on pinot yeah well i mean obviously as i just mentioned champagne's a no-brainer to mature under wine because you underwater because you've got the thickness of the bottle yeah. number one and obviously they're in cork and so forth uh i landed on pinot because i make chardonnay and pinot that's all we have at willamy yeah. uh being here in macedon it's quite a famous region for uh pinot and chardonnay and I landed on Pinot over Chardonnay because 
our table wine, um, Chardonnay, I really wanted to mature it um, or present it with a screw cap because I think white wines are better with having a screw cap than having a cork. Yeah. Um, so the Pinot was like, okay, well, how's the Pinot going to sit with this? So I actually did a trial um, in a bucket of water with some uh, some wines from my old job, some clean skin Shiraz, and I had uh, in a bucket of water. Yep, I had the Shiraz <laughs> in a bucket in my shed for four years. Oh wow! Uh, and I had screw cap, and the screw cap started to rust, and they were completely buggered. And I'm like, well, I can't use screw cap. That's the yeah. reason why we have cork. Yeah. So yeah. cork was a, a paramount. Uh, decision yeah. for uh, utilizing that for whichever wine I chose. So obviously, I wanted to keep the um, Chardonnay in screw cap. So hence, by elimination, it was the Pinot. And the Pinot we make here in Macedon um, is quite different to a lot of Australian Pinots anyway, because we're um, uh, we're dry growing with tiny, tiny yields, like about five hundred grams per vine. Yep. which is quite unusual. Uh, and so we have quite a bit of concentration and also tannin structure in the Pinot. Um, and again. Uh, you know, a lot of Pinots are very fine tannin or have very little tannin mm-hmm. uh, in Australia, that is, where this here is a bit of a, you know, a paradox to Australian uh, Pinots is quite different. It, we have structure in the wine in the first place. So that was always going to help me lead to, um, you know, tannin, acid and so forth are yeah. great indicators of wines that can um, age regardless yeah. if it's underwater or not. Um, so that's why I've got, well, I think the Pinot can handle it. Let's give it a go. So I chose the Pinot underwater. Yep. Well, you, is it something that you'll experiment with as the years come? You might try some other. You might try. I would love to cork, yeah. some cork chardonnay, or is that yeah, just a no go? No, I'd love to. I, but the thing is, um, I really wanted to compare with a control. And yeah. if your commercial chardonnay is um, is all in screw cap, then I have to go and bottle like you know hand bottle ten dozen or five yep. dozen or whatever chardonnay to keep as a control yep. for what's underwater, which yep. I don't really want to do. I just rather do it all in one hit in the bottling line, all under screw cap for chardonnay. Yeah, likewise. of course. Pinot is easy; it's all under cork. So therefore, um, I don't wax the cork. That's a really important facet as well. When the wine's underwater, there's no wax. And so the wine that's stored in the cellar has no wax as well. Yep. Um, they get waxed when they're ready for release and to the public. Now, I want to talk about so, – so obviously these examples that we're referring to abroad uh, are in saltwater. Mm-hmm. You're doing freshwater. Yeah. A, how does salt versus fresh impact the output? And B, how did you land on freshwater? I mean, I know that we're not near the yeah. coast, but <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly right. No, look, um, it's a, that's a million-dollar question as to why there might be a difference between freshwater and saltwater. I don't know the complete answer to that, How, um, but obviously the density of water is different, um, I believe, and I'm, ha- I'm happy to be corrected. <laughs> uh, I'm not really a great scientist, but I believe uh, freshwater is probably more dense than, than saltwater, but I'm, I'm happy to be wrong on that. Uh, but there is definitely a density issue um, between the two. The other thing too is that um, I didn't want to do it un- un- in, in salt water because I'm 100 k's from the ocean and I just know that in Australia if I go down and put 20 dozen, 240 bottles underwater, some abalone diver <laughs> or, or lobster diver will see it and then like a year later it's gone. And I'm like, where'd it go? So because um, uh, we bought Willamy, you had a, had a vineyard on it and yeah. an old winery and um, the winery has these 5,000 litre wine tanks and wine tanks are stainless steel, they're perfect. So I'm like, okay, I'll use these. So I just laid them flat on the bottom of the wine tank with yep. um, fresh water. And uh, then filled them up to the very brim, so you have that pressure, the, the three and a half, four meters of head, head pressure. Yeah. And if I use salt water, I could have done salt water, but then where do you, where do you discard the salt water? I'm going to 
put salinity into my paddock or whatever, and that's just really silly. So it was a no-brainer. So I use dam water. I pump water up from the dam, and the dam's quite muddy, and that's yep. why um, you'll see uh, the final product has um, a film of mud over the over the bottle. And this question is just like a little bit off, um, mm. uh, off but I want to ask, so how do – so the wineries that are doing it, both here and abroad, who do – Dump it out, dump them out in the ocean. How do they stop people from well coming in? You know, like places like Vlevkuko who are um, maturing forty three meters underwater. It's a long way to dive. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't think how many divers are going to find that, and they they can all GPS locate it now and all the rest of it. You know, so they um, probably pay for security underwater security. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a really good question. I don't know. I'd love to know how they prevent theft. Um, yeah. You know, from that because as you say, it'd be so easy just uh, you know, diving along the coast and particularly in a highly populated <laughs> yes. area. Yes. Uh, grab some abalone, grab yeah. a magnum, Hello. head to the shore. <laughs> it's a great day out. <laughs> Bloody delightful. <laughs> it's, day at the beach. <laughs> so, um, and so you've touched on corks versus screw tops, right? Yes, yeah. Now, uh, you've obviously said corks the way to go, mm. and God mm. forbid those that you know cork their white or their chardonnays. <laughs> but does the does the salt penetrate? The cork, like, does the salt what salt? Does the salt water or the fresh water in your case penetrate the cork? Well, what happens is that uh, you have when you bottle any wine, mm. regardless of table wine or, or sparkling wine, there is an element of pressure that you bottle when you put a cork in, um, and that's all measured and, and 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 done when we do the bottling process. Uh, I can't remember the actual bars or atmosphere. Oh, Ben, you is, should know this. But anyway, whatever it is, <laughs> but basically it is at a certain pressure anyway. It's not. It's a very light pressure, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously atmospheric pressure um, is obviously different. So when you're storing your wine in 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 your normal cellar, over time, the pressure the wine will seep out because you've got to get a balance. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's not like air pressure is denser and heavier, and therefore. Uh, um, uh, you're going to seep the other way. Water's wine, wine or water is always going to seep out. But when you're underwater, you have it becomes an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, this is a little bit of physics. Yeah, uh, basic is <laughs> pretty boring, really. But <laughs> um, no. But basically, what happens at the end of the day is yes, of course, water will start to try and force its way in. But as it tries to do that, the, it starts building up pressure in the bottle, and because yeah. the wine can't go anywhere else, it's got to start going back into the cork to balance the pressure of the water on the outside of the cork coming in. So therefore you get an equal and opposite reaction and it becomes balanced. So yes, the, wi- the wine has moved in the cork, I've noticed, um, about uh, a mil to two mils. Wow. And water from the top has done the same, about that roughly. But they don't actually meet in harmony. They will eventually, but maybe after 100 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, but they, they will eventually find this balance. So it doesn't take very long. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. if they don't find the balance, then obviously if the water's too heavy, then most likely the glass will crack. Or yeah. like it'll push the cork in or completely mix it up. So that obviously doesn't happen. And that sounds like a disaster that we don't want. <laughs> so, which actually brings me to my next question. Is it financially viable to produce underwater wine and, like, do the benefits outweigh the work and obviously the costs involved? <laughs> well, I'm going to find out this financial year. You have to ask my accountant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I look at it – It's a, I guess it's a mindset. I look at it like, going back to the champagne analogy, those guys mature, you know, um, those wines after tirage in bottle for five years before getting to disgorging and then releasing the wine. So 
once you get into that five-year rotation, you've got a wine every year of coming through. It's just getting to that first five years. And in my case, it's actually six years because I've got a year in barrel, normal normal yep. winemaking process. So after one year, actually about 18 months yep. um, that we get to bottling, I then have to put the wine underwater for five years. So it take, it's taken me six years to have a five-year underwater wine, if that yep. makes sense. One yep. year in barrel, five years underwater. Yep. So I'm hoping now I'm in that cycle. I've just entered it. Yep. into releasing the wine to the public and, and receiving some financial <laughs> rewards that it will end up balancing itself. And but, charging $197,000. <laughs> that'd be nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, that's um, uh, that's that's um, uh, the first part of it. And then I guess um, there is a bit of marketing in it too, like yeah. you know, looking at what the guys have been doing in Europe. You know, they sell their wines with like mollusks and barnacles stuck to the yeah. bottle and all that sort of stuff. And there's certain romanticism, but wine is romantic. So, yeah. So, you know, it's all about um, uh, the romanticism of wine and that's just lo- – it's a, the, the packaging and the way it looks is awesome when you've got these dirty wines and it gives you that authenticity yes. that, that have been underwater. Yeah. Um, so I've found that really imperative to keep the mud on the on the bottle because yeah. it does say that, hey, it has been underwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're and not just pulling the leg. No, exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. So, but when I worked in Burgundy – oh, gee whiz, in 2003. So yeah. was that nearly 18 years ago. And um, a job post-vintage was um, they had all these beautiful large format bottles uh, in their cellar in the caves underground. Yep. And those um, wines were about 10, 15 years old. And they're all covered in a, quite a thick film of mould, yep. um, Burgundian cellared mould, about, oh, I don't know, about 15 mils or thereabouts thick. Sounds bloody disgusting. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, uh, post-vintage I had to clean a little square on those bottles and then put the label on. And could you put the? Could I'm you not like, label that is it? Awesome. Could you not label it and then stick it under? Would the label just rot? No, the, the, yeah, underwater the label would dissipate. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. so so right. in the cellars, this is the idea of in Burgundy where they had the mold. They just yeah. cleaned a little area. Yeah, put the label on, and then that was a package in a yeah. box. Um, and you're like, wow, that looks awesome because it says that the wine has been matured yeah. in a cellar in Burgundy. Yeah, and so for the underwater wine that I'm doing at Willamy, um, I'm just uh. Um, Cleaning a little square area out of the mud. Yeah. And my, my seven-year-old daughter loves helping me do that. Actually. <laughs> actually doing that during the grand final on the weekend, watching the granny, and she was um, helping me uh, um, label the label the bottles, so it was quite cute. But uh, no, really, that was imperative um, from my time in Burgundy, just keeping the label on. Uh, on, on Finicky process. Oh, it's yeah, 240 bottles. It doesn't oh. sell. It's not much fun. I don't think I'll be expanding the range to thousands and thousands. It's going to be a nightmare. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the bottle right now, and it, and he's done a meticulous job, and the and the mud is just this beautiful pattern up the side, and the label's yeah. perfectly untouched and clean. In the and I I certainly wouldn't want to be doing it. My God! No, and then we have to wrap them in uh, tissue paper because uh, yes. the mud scuffs off when it's in a box yep. in the little dividers and stuff. So it's it's a lot of oh chewies. How many times would we, hand, we would handle that bottle of wine? 10, 15 times. Yeah, know, wow. Bottling into the tank, out of the tank, then the packaging process. So it takes a it, long time. I was actually reading about one of the, oh, I think it was one of the champagne houses, was packaging it up in boxes, like t- wooden boxes mm-hmm. um, that were, the, the timber was like recycled from a shipwreck or some. Oh, that's cool. Some like, like that. Yeah, <laughs> it links back in with the yes. story. <laughs> some bloody toss, which yeah. actually brings me to my next one because I was chatting to my to our editor, Neil, before I came out here and she goes, just ask him, is it an absolute fat? Right? So, <laughs> that's what I want to ask. So is it, it's got to be a bit of mind over matter, surely. Like, 
oh, like we know that the wine's been resting for those overseas. The wine's been resting <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean. Is my mind going, you're going to taste salt? Yeah, you know, no, like, no, right, no, good question. Good sell question. it to me, Ben. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nah, look, I haven't tasted those wines from overseas, so I'm going to say they're salty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah, and I believe you. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, obviously I'm freshwater, so there's no salt. So it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a safe bet on the middle of me. No, um, uh, look, though, no, you can't taste the water. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. All right. Um, and you can't taste the mud either. So, no, it's um, really, I mean, we'll get to that when we have a taste of these wines sitting here side by side. Um but um, no, there's no muddiness or saltiness or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, it's quite a, um, uh, well, well, we'll talk about the wines in a moment, I guess. Yeah, I want to talk. So we're, 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 it's so bloody delightful out here. I wish you could all just be here with us out in the Christ, sun, you know. So lucky. Um, so spring. I apologise. It's spring. I apologise <laughs> if you hear wind because, you know, we're dealing with the elements. Mm. So we've got two glasses in front of us. And uh, we've actually got a, a a mate just behind us who's also trying the wine for the first time. <laughs> um, so we've got two in front of us. And I actually was saying to Ben, the first thing I noticed, so so, so everyone knows, we've got uh, the same wine. One has been salad traditionally and one has been aged underwater, Ben. Spot on, yep. This is the 15 Willamy Pinot. And um, and already the the one that has been aged underwater, I said to Ben, looks more vibrant. Like the colour is more vibrant. Mm. Yep, exactly right. That's what stands out straight away. Um, amazingly, though, the control is still really vibrant, and deep and dark. Um, we were talking before. A lot of um, Australian Pinot can start to age with that little brick red hue on the edge of the the colour of the rim. Um, but this here still got. D- darkness, depth, um, the controls a little bit, I guess, slightly going into the red colour, whereas the underwater wine still has a sort of slight purple rim to it, you know, like a youthful Pinot. Yeah, and even and even when we were um, when we were putting it to our well, we're putting it to our nose now, <laughs> but the intensity on the nose, mm-hmm. I feel, is far greater on the un- on the underwater wine. Yeah, it jumps out, doesn't it, um, straight away. Uh, yeah, the difference on the nose is that the, um, the freshwater wine, sorry, the underwater wine, um, is obviously a little bit fresher, more vibrant, and a bit more fruity. Yes. Um, more brambly, red, dark fruits. Yes. Um, whereas the uh, the control has a little bit, touch more savouriness on the nose. Um, and we'll see that on the palate as well. So, like, should we, should we, should we try? Because I've, I've never mm-hmm. actually tried any of so Ben's that. wines before. <laughs> so this is a first. So we'll try the control first, or the traditional, yeah. traditionally salad Pinot. So you always got to look at look at these wines in light of they are six years old already. We're not talking. I mean, the, the thing in Australia is we drink wines. And it's quite fashionable right now. So young and so so early youthful yeah, yeah. wines. So we're not drinking a lot of aged wines anymore, and particularly Pinot Noir. Um, a lot of Australian Pinot in particular, whether it's Tasmania, Adelaide Hills, Yarra, Mornington, Macedon, we're drinking quite young and not yep. really maturing anyway. So I'm doing that for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, process. Ben. Yeah. So, keep, so keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm quite excited, actually, because I've never tried any of Ben's wines, as I said. So I don't want to slurp in front of the, uh, <laughs> the microphone. <laughs> I just did. Oh, Ben, you make a nice wine. Yeah, thank you. Um it's exceptional. It's, it's got a lovely a acidity to it as well still. You know, it's, it's quite... Yeah, good point. And that's one of the great hallmarks about Macedon Ranges because we're the coolest uh, 
growing region on mainland Australia and, and colder than lots of Tassie. So acidity is a hallmark of the region. Yeah, beautiful. We're obviously going to try our um, underwater wine. Have you already tried it, Jordan? Oh, already? He's already bloody... Jordan Ryan has just jumped in, more, you know? More, like, <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty there. <laughs> um, all right. Okay, now. Oh. So it's pretty hedonistic, isn't it? Mm. Mm. So, what I found with this, the com- compared to two, is a bit more fruit forwardness. Yes. Uh, straight away on the palate with the underwater wine. Yep. But also the 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 acidity you mentioned acidity before, the acidity to tannin ratio has changed a little bit. It has. Um and uh, a little bit finer than the control. Uh and that's because I think anyway, that um our dam water in the middle of winter, yeah, that's when I empty the tank and then refill it. Yeah. Um, with the next vintage, etc. Is four degrees Celsius, mm. um, so it's bloody cold. Yeah, <laughs> don't want to be <laughs> um, swimming in that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, and all our wines are made in a uh, minimalistic, natural way. So um, no fining, no stabilisation. Um, uh, Sulphur is the only addition. Yeah. Um, to these wines, no acidity additions because obviously the fruit gives you that great acidity anyway. Yeah. But when you're four degrees Celsius. Um, I have noticed there is a little bit of tartrate at the bottom of every bottle yep. underwater. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, because I've dropped a little bit of um, tartrate, and that's obviously a form of acid. So that has changed slightly the um, acidity. Mm. Uh, so that's one thing. And hence, when you change the acidity, you change the perception of tannin. Yep. So they're very closely related in perception on the palate. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, um, it's, it, it's very, uh, I now need to go back to the other, but it's very fruit forward. Mm. Yeah, it's great to do them side by side. Um, they, they aren't major, major differences um, on the palate. They're more subtle, but they are there. They're um, there. The bigger differences are, as we mentioned immediately, was the visual aspect yep. and then hedonistic nose, um, aromaticity of the wine. But on the palate, there's obviously a little bit less definition between the two. Um, and I feel like and I feel like for people at home that – because you know, if you're a wine drinker like I am, it's it's just so interesting, right? And it's this is a technique you probably just haven't had the luxury of trying yet because we're not abroad. Well, we can't even mm. hop on a plane, so we definitely are not abroad. <laughs> but but and what's so lovely is that you come to somewhere like Willamy and try them. You buy both bottles, take them to a dinner party, mm. and try them mm. side by side. Yeah, exactly right. Awesome. You know, which yep. I think is like a cracking idea. Yeah, that's that's the that's the key, and that's what I would like to achieve um, in the future. We have such small productions that um, we only make three barrels a year. We're, we're tiny productions, only one and a half acres of vineyard, um, so you're only getting about one ton. So yeah, it's, as I said, low yields. So we've only got three barrels, so it's about seventy odd dozen in total, twenty yep. dozen underwater. I've been keeping about eight to ten under normal conditions. Yep. Um, and that's for our mailing list, so they've been able to um, to see the differences. Yeah. 
Oh, so uh, have people started buying it? Like, is yeah, we released we released these wines uh, at the beginning of September, so about three weeks ago. Oh, so it's so, like hot off the press. Yeah, hot off the press. Yep, um, uh, it's only available online on, yep. on our website. It's the only place you can see it. Um, I, I have reserved a, a few for a few restaurants um, when they eventually reopen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, who have been great supporters and customers of ours uh, yep. in Melbourne and Sydney. So there's only about two or three restaurants in that city that will have like two or three bottles each um, yep. because there's not a lot of Oh, wow. Yeah. So really. So it's going to be tiny production. Ben, I've got to ask the rude question. How do you price something like this? Because obviously it's pretty <laughs> exclusive in a way. Yeah, you bet. Exactly right. No, it's not a rude question at all. Well, our normal Pinot, um, the 2020, which we just released as well, is $60 a bottle. Mm-hmm. So um, I think for a six-year-old wine, it needs to be at least double. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, um, after talking to a few friends, a few sommelier friends over the last years, a few years, we, we came to the conclusion we'll go to 140 yep. a bottle. Yep. Um, and uh, there, voila, that's where we're at. But also, like for people at home, like it's a lot of work. I mean, it's it's bloody oh, beautiful wine. As I but said, a lot we of handle it 10 times or thereabouts. Yeah. It's not just once into the yeah. box here, you go off to a restaurant or off to a customer. Totally. We've had to rehandle, re wax, re, you know, I was in and out of the water, yeah. as I said. Um, clean the mud off and re-stamp the back labels. With Sounds the painful, label. Ben. Well, that's why my seven-year-old daughter's been helping you. <laughs> bit, of, bit, of, bit of labour at home, bloody hell. Oh, I've got to make the most of it. Yeah. When they grow up, I'm buggered. <laughs> She'll drink it and she won't help you. Exactly. And good on her. <laughs> and so um, the question no, is, awesome. Ben, looking forward, looking ahead, yeah, yeah. right, is this something that you're going to continue? Like, oh, most definitely. Yeah, you bet. I have oh. done this every vintage. So the 16 is underwater, the 17 vintage, 18, 19, and 20 vintage, um, which the 20 vintage went in the tank uh, in July this winter mm-hmm. when I took out the 15 vintage. Yep. So, yeah, I've got... I've got a couple of tanks, by the way, so I can rotate the wines a bit. And you're going to um, do some longer than five years? Or? Yeah, I, I've actually kept some definitely um, yeah. to see how it goes. Yeah, I want to see how it goes, eight years, ten years or whatever. Yeah. And I actually have some of our mailing list customers who um, have requested, hey, can I keep um, you know, three or four bottles underwater? I'll, really? Uh, I'll, I'll purchase them now and I'll keep them and we'll pull them out in a year or two or ten or whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, of course you can do that. That's amazing. So, so I've got um, three customers at the moment in particular that have left uh, wine underwater. So wow. I, they, I got in touch with those guys before I pulled the wine out, obviously. Um, yeah. And they were like, yeah, for sure, let's do it. So yes, so that's um, something unique and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, but it's great to um, uh, have uh, a great rapport with those customers as well. Um, yes. One of them's a great friend, but the other two are... You know, I, I really don't know very well, but they're just great. They've come on the journey with you. They come on the journey, and I'm like, let's do it. It's great. It'd yes. be fantastic. So, um, so I'm really excited because um, when obviously lockdown ends and all the rest of it, they can come down in a year or two, and we'll actually um, have a drink at home and share a bottle of wine wow. together. And, you know, um, it's gonna be fun. So, yes, yeah, so I really want to see how that what what time frame. I only chose five years. Yeah, because it's a round number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I didn't want to do 18 months. Most of the guys, we didn't mention before, but most of the guys in Europe uh, are only maturing their wines for about, uh, what I've seen, about six months to 18 months. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So they're not doing long periods of time. So yeah. obviously, I'm already out there doing five years, um, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, But I thought, well, you've got to give it, like the whole idea is the shipwreck is 100 years. You've got to have it a long enough time frame to be differentiated from the control. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. no point 
if it's the same or very similar, well, then that is yeah. pure marketing, as we've yeah. touched on before, about the aesthetics of it because it's just all the marketing sides. But I really wanted to see, you know, how long it will take. And, and we may end up in 10, 20 years' time be sitting here again and I've got 10 or 20-year-old wines. And that's what we do for everything, you know, and, we, and it just changes from, you know, we extend it out. So And maybe we go to a little bit of shardy over, in 10 years' time. Or screw, not screw cap, no, sorry. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe um, another variety that we, we end up planting, who knows. So, and, um, wouldn't it we'll be fas- and wouldn't it be fascinating, Ben, to like even try a five-year um, age underwater compared to a 10-year age underwater and see what that extra, like, Oh, oh yeah, exactly right. And this is the thing. Possibilities it's, are endless. Exactly right, yeah. and you, But you still need a good wine in the first place. Yeah. You know, um, there's no point aging, aging um, wine that's below par. It's, it's not going to get any better. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, that's the key. And so, Ben, thanks so much for chatting with us. Yeah, pleasure. It's been great to uh, have you up here, mate. It's Amazing. Awesome, Tom. So, and we're definitely going to come back out because I, I've come up here and I've walked into Mount Monument uh, where Ben spends a bit of his time, and there's a lot happening <laughs> up here. Yeah, this is a great little thing. So I should mention that um, to the to the, your viewers that I do work here as the winemaker, viticulturalist, and salesperson. Yeah. Um, here at Mount Monument, so it's about twenty k's up the road from Willamy. Yep. So um, I've got two vineyards to manage, two wines to make, and two wines to sell, I suppose. Uh, He's a busy man. Yeah, it's quite fun, but it's great. But Nonda, who owns this place, is an architect who um, uh, he designed Mona down in Tassie and Eureka and so forth. And Amazing. We're building a mini Mona here at Mount Monument as we speak and hopefully we'll be open in the new year with a restaurant cellar door and a little yeah. winery, sculpture park, and it's really cool. It's incredible, guys. Like, I can't wait for um, you to come up and see it when it opens and I can't wait to come back out and chat to you. Yeah, we'll have the underwater wine here at Mount exactly. Monument, no doubt, so we'll, um, we'll, we'll show you. come up here and check it all out. Um, guys, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and Willamy Wines, get online, have a look at it. I'm fascinated by it. And come and check out Mount Monument monument when it all uh, comes to fruition. Um, Thanks again Ben and um, have a fabulous weekend everyone.